The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. in the bus it's episode 38 and today we're reviewing the euro leagues the big five we're gonna just run down them as fast as we possibly can it is a lot to cover but we're just gonna tie the bow if you will tie the knot and close the door on 2020 2021 across the big five in europe we're gonna ignore the fiasco of the super league we're gonna ignore uh you know we're gonna pretend we didn't have issues with COVID this season. We're going to pretend that the stadiums weren't empty. And we're just going to talk about matches. We're going to talk about results. And what we're going to do, we're going to start right off the bat hot in England in the in the Premier League. Right off the bat. This, this league's been decided for weeks. So we're going to start there. It's going to be a quick rundown. And here is what went down. Everyone knows, of course, in England, the FA Cup was won by Leicester City this season. They beat Chelsea in the cup final at Wembley just a couple of weeks ago. Remember when the when the FA Cup final was the final match, the curtain closer of the football season in Britain, or at least in England, but I'm pretty sure it was the end of the season in Britain as well. Not so much the case anymore these days. These days, and this may have to do with Euro 2020, uh, with the final being at Wembley, but I think it also had more to do with the finals of the EFL playoffs. But the the FA Cup final was played. Uh, it was played before the Premier League season was over. I don't like that. I'm opposed to that. I think the league finishes, and the following Saturday is the FA Cup final. It is the final day. It is the day all eyes are on English football. But, of course, this is why the romanticism and the, the lore of the FA Cup, is some of it is lost because now they just throw it in whenever they can, and it is just another match for so many supporters if you support a big club. But this year we did get a little bit of magic in that Leicester City were the winners. Yes, they crumbled, and yes, they fell out of the top four in the Premier League, but not before lifting the FA Cup and their supporters We'll be happy with this. And I do believe that this, if you're not going to win the title, I do believe that the FA Cup, I think, could mean more to the supporters than a fourth-place finish in the Premier League. And I'll use this platform here, guys, to tell you. And if you're listening for the first time, I should probably introduce myself. I know it's episode 38, but I missed that part. This is the, I am the Mr. Mike Augustino, the host here of the Park in the Bus 
podcast. And I have said, and I was vocal about this on Twitter, speaking with some other content creators, okay, and speaking with uh, most notably Kardik Krishnayer of the World Soccer Talk podcast and the website. And uh, he, hey, he and I are in agreement about this, and about how we believe that the FA Cup winner should should get the fourth spot in the Champions League rather than fourth place. I think that is what would incentivize the the FA Cup, incentivize the big clubs to take the FA Cup seriously and to give it the respect that it deserves. It is the oldest football competition on planet Earth. The FA Cup, it goes back to the 1860s, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe the 70s. But it goes back well over 100 years, okay? It goes back almost a, a century and a half now. We need to make it the key focal point of the season once again. The I know that all the money is in the Premier League, and the Premier League draws all the interest and draws all the television numbers. But I think a bigger effort needs to be done by the FA and by their their branding partners, by their sponsors, by all of their you know, affiliates and their broadcast partners as well to make the FA Cup special again. A team like Leicester City winning though is is a big help in that in that struggle. And I do believe that that, that Leicester City should have gotten the fourth spot in the UEFA Champions League. Of course, Champions League was won by Chelsea, so they would have they would have made it anyway. As they would have taken the champions, the automatic place as the Champions League winners, had had they not qualified uh, through their league. All right, so that's the FA Cup. Let's go to the Premier League and let's look at the final table in the Premier League of this season. We all know the champions with 86 points, Manchester City, 12 better than second place, Manchester United. And again, if you listen to episode 36. You know what I think about Manchester United, and I do think that this is a little bit misleading because that is a, a pretty low point total for a second-place team. Let's be honest and call a spade a spade. On most seasons, that does not get you second place, and on many seasons, that gets you outside of the top four. But for this year, it is Manchester United, 74 points in second place, five better than third place. Liverpool, who recovered nicely at the end of the season, but again, only able to do that because the point totals in the top four were so low this year. Some fans will say that that is parity and that is good and that is competition and that's good for the league that, that the top teams are, are dropping more points. Others will say it is a sign that the top teams are not as good as they normally are. I tell you what, you t PTB Nation, you make up your mind for yourself. You decide what the reason is. Perhaps you enjoy it better when the teams are all at full strength and if someone wipes the floor with everybody and you get 100 points, you get 100 points because you deserve it. I tend to look at it that way, but I I, I totally see um, the counterpoint that fewer points obviously makes for a closer table. It didn't make for a close table this year, but... Everything from 3 to 7 was a much closer race than any other season that I can remember. And there's fewer points separating the third place, in the, which goes to the Champions League, and eighth place that, that misses Europe altogether. There's actually more points between 
Manchester City and Manchester United in first and second place, and there are between third place Liverpool and eighth place Arsenal. Um, and that's the difference between making or missing Europe this season. So, fourth place, of course, are the Champions League winners, the new, ch- the new champions of Europe, Chelsea Football Club. They had 67 points. Uh, one better than the FA Cup winners, Leicester City, who drop out of the top four and, as I said, disappointingly miss out on the Champions League. But they will go to the Europa League as, as a consolation prize with 66 points. They were one point better than sixth place West Ham United, who will also travel, or I should say, who will also qualify for the Europa League. And I think the Hammers are going to be happy with that. Yes, they were in the top four for for a large portion of the season, and they were in the battle for the Champions League right up till almost the end. But I don't think any Hammers fan is going to be disappointed with the chance to play European football next season. I don't think they're not going to they're not going to make the most of their opportunity to take part in the in the Europa League next season. And the Europa Conference spot goes to seventh place Tottenham Hotspur, despite all of the the calamity and all of the controversy and all of the poor performances this year they edge their north london rivals arsenal by one mere point to take that final european spot and they will be england's representative in the debut edition of the uefa conference league now nobody goes directly to the group stage in the conference league i'm sure i'll do an episode over the summer as we get closer breaking down just how the format of this new competition works but everybody has to go through a playoff before they can get into the the conference league proper into the 24 team group stage sorry 32 team group stage um there will be 32 teams in the group stage of the conference league 32 teams in the group stage of the uefa europa league so there are your european representatives for next season for from England, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester City, West Ham United, and Tottenham Hotspur. Eighth place has, has been mentioned. Arsenal, the Arsenal, uh, they finish outside of Europe for the first time in, in about a generation. Um, Mikel Arteta has a lot of work to do there if he is kept on. Uh, they finish eighth with 61 points. Two better than ninth place leads. Leeds just miss out by three points on a trip to the Europa Conference. And how much would Marcelo Bielsa's side and their fan base have just absolutely adored the chance to play in Europe again? Remember, they won. They are a former winner of the Inner City Fairs Cup, uh, which went on to become the UEFA Cup, which is now known as the Europa League. So there is European pedigree, no doubt, in the history of Leeds United, and don't forget, before their massive collapse and subsequent relegation, Leeds United got all the way to the semifinals of the UEFA Champions League in the late 90s, early 2000s. Now, Everton will be 10th. Carlo Ancelotti will be disappointed with 10th, I do believe. 59 points, same as Leeds, but with an inferior goal difference, and Everton will be 10th. 11th is Aston Villa. They were promoted this year, remember, and not a bad first season back in the prim. For the Villains, they finish uh, in 11th with 55 points. Newcastle United finished 12th on 45 points. 
Also on 45 points in 13th. Disappointing season for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves finish out of the European spots this year, again for the second season in a row. And I had said at the beginning of the season I was interested to see if they were a team that was going to bounce back into those European spots or if they were going to fall back into the relegation battle. Now, some unforeseen things happened to Wolves this season. Injury to Raul Jimenez, the sale of Diogo Jota to Liverpool really hurt their offense. Those were their two offensive stalwarts. Okay, they um, they saw that now manager Nuno Espirito Santo has stepped down at the end of the season, has called time on his tenure at Wolves. Uh, no doubt Wolves supporters are sad to see him go. We will see who will replace him. I'm hoping that it is my former manager at Benfica. My, I say my, you know, my club's former manager, Bruno Lage. No, he does not have the pedigree, but I do believe he in what I mean by pedigree, he actually does have the pedigree, okay? He is a manager who didn't lose a match in his first nearly 40 matches in the Portuguese league, okay? He won the title with Benfica. He he won the Super Cup with Benfica. He, if not for a little bit of a player revolt on him by some of the seasoned veterans in the club. I think he wins the league title the second time. The team collapsed, but you know what? The club are in shambles. They just spent 8 million euros on a new coach who did worse than Bruno Lage did. Okay, I think Bruno Lage is a fantastic manager. He speaks English very well. He's an effective communicator. And he's got experience in England having worked under Carlos Carvajal at Sheffield Wednesday and at Swansea City. And I think um, I think with time, Wolves supporters will fall in love with Bruno Lage. Uh, just such a positive manager. Just brings the good out in football. And he gets the best out of his, his, his footballers. Um, so long as, you know, they're not in a toxic situation, a toxic locker room. He inherited that problem at Befica, okay? He was able to put a Band-Aid on it for over a year, going undefeated for so long. And eventually, you know, the Band-Aid came off and the problems that were underlying eventually rose to the surface again. But I rate him very, very highly. And if he goes to Wolves, I will be super excited to watch next season. 14th place, Crystal Palace, 44 points. Uh, 15th place was Southampton, 43 points. Brighton finished 16th on 41 Burnley stay up. They have 39 points in 17th and then irrelegated sides. For this season, Fulham Football Club, 18th place, 28 points. Not even close to survival. Same for West Brom, 26 points in 19th. And Sheffield United, the Blades go down with uh, 23 points. And that sums up, ladies and gentlemen, the English Premier League, however, let's take a look quickly at some, some of the leaders in the Premier League. Uh, let's pull up the stats here. And the top scorer for this season in the English Premier League is Harry Kane of Tottenham Hotspur. Now, where will he play his football next season is the question. He had 23 goals. He's one better than Mohamed Salah, who had 22 goals. Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United. Third on 18 goals, but half of those 18 coming from the penalty spot. Hyung Min's son is third, is fourth, excuse me, with 17 goals. The same number of goals as Leeds United's 
Patrick Bamford, 17 for each of them. Don, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is 6th with 16 goals. Jamie Vardy had 15th and 7. And Ollie Watkins of Aston Villa, 14 goals. So that sums up basically the English Premier League season. Now let's move on to the championship and see how that finished this year. And uh, this year's champions in the championship. Now they play 46 rounds in this league. This is an incredibly competitive, incredibly bruising league. And hats off to anybody that can survive the English championship. It's one of my favorite leagues in the world, though. Uh, number one. The champions this year, once again, are the Canaries. Norwich City going up with 97 points from 46 matches, 29 wins, 10 draws, 7 defeats. And Norwich are 6 points clear of second place Watford. Watford will also go up this year, returning as Norwich and Watford really are yo-yo clubs that go up and down every couple of seasons. They, they've made many, many treks into the Premier League and been relegated several times back to the championship, always near the top of the championship when they're in that division. Third place was Brentford, 87 points, same as last season for Brentford. Fourth place was the Swans, Swansea Football Club, or uh, Swansea Association Football Club, 80 points for them, two better than Barnsley, who were in fifth, Bournemouth were sixth with 77 points, as you know, in the championship places three through six qualify for the promotion playoffs unlike in some other leagues where just the top three get promoted in England in the championship one and two get promoted automatically that's Norwich and Watford and then three through six will play in a playoff we'll get to that in just a moment seventh place was Reading with 70 points eighth place Cardiff with 68 same amount of points as QPR Queens Park Rangers ninth also on 68, but a 15-goal less goal difference. Middlesbrough were 10th with 64 points. Millwall, 11th with 62. Luton Town, 62 points as well. They're 12th. Preston North End were 13th on 61 points. Stoke City, a former Premier League club not that long ago, they're 14th on 60 points. Blackburn Rovers, one-time Premier League champions, Back when Alan Shearer used to suit up for them. They're 15th in this year's championship. 57 points. Coventry City, 55 points in 16th. And how about the former European champions, Nottingham Forest. A very, very disappointing 17th place this season on 52 points. Same as Birmingham City. 19th is Bristol City with 51 points. Huddersfield Town, 20th with 49 Darby County, another former Brian Clough side that spent many times in, in the Premier League and the old Division One, They finished just above the line, one point better than last year's playoff winners from League Two. Wickham Wanderers, Darby stay up. Wickham, by one point, go back to League One. Oh, heartbreaking for Wickham this season. They almost managed to stay up. Uh, Rotherham in 23rd. They are also going down on 42 points. And unfortunately, Sheffield Wednesday, a club once once featured in the Premier League, also a um, club that once had a midfielder by the name of John Harks, who played for the United States uh, back in the 90s. 
unfortunately for them, back to League One for them as well. Let's go to the playoffs then, and let's take a look at the playoff fixtures. Monday, May 17th was the first leg of the semifinals. Bournemouth win at home over Brentford, so six beats three, and Brentford has to be panicked after losing the playoff final last season to to Fulham at Wembley. Um, now they look in they looked in danger of not even getting to the final. While later that day, the Swans travel to Barnsley and Swansea one nil winners on the road at Barnsley. Saturday, May the twenty second was the day for the second legs, the return fixtures. And in a now before I I go to these results, it's important to note there is no more, or I shouldn't say no more. There is no away goals rule in the English promotion playoffs. Okay, there's also no more away goals rule in the in the um, in UEFA competition starting next season. UEFA's uh, council announced that this season that they're scrapping the away goals rule starting next season. So this match was very, very close to going to extra time between Brentford and Bournemouth. As Bournemouth took the lead, actually, by Dan Juma, put them on the board in the fifth minute, making the aggregate 2-0 to the visitors there. But then in the 16th, it was Ivan Tony from the penalty spot, making it 1-1 on the day and 2-1-2 or in aggregate. Fast forward to the 50th minute, and Vitaly Janelt scores for Brentford 2-1, leveling the aggregate. We're looking towards extra time, but nine minutes from full-time. 81st minute, Marcus Force gets on the end of a play from Emiliano Marcondes, and he puts Brentford ahead 3-1 in front of a, a healthy crowd. Supporters were in the ground for this one. And there was a crowd of 3,830 at the Brentford Community Stadium. And Brentford survive and advance to Wembley for the promotion playoff final for the second year in a row. And will their fans be tortured once again with a final defeat? Or would this be the year Brentford finally return to the top flight of English football and later that Saturday afternoon in what was kind of a formality in in Wales Swansea 1-1 draw with Barnsley and Swansea book their spot to Wembley so we go to Wembley for the playoff final this takes place on Saturday May the 29th the same day as the UEFA Champions League final. This is why the Champions League final could not be played at Wembley because that would have made all the sense in the world with two English teams in it. 11,689 file in to Wembley Stadium. And it is Brentford who will do it this time with a goal. And they did it early. The same guys as in the previous match. Same names. Um, Ivan Tony from the penalty spot once again, and then Emiliano Marcones. Ten minutes later, doubles the lead. The Swans have no response. And in the end, the Bees will be playing top-flight football for the first time since, get this, 1946-47. That was the last time Brentford were in the top flight of English football. Not even anywhere near there in the Premier League uh, era until last season. 
and it is the 10th, unbelievable, it was Brentford's 10th Football League playoff attempt and the first time that they managed to to be promoted through the playoffs. Congratulations to the Bees. Brentford are going to the Premier League. There's still one spot left in in the or there's three spots left in the championship for next season. So let's quickly look at League One just to let you know who that's going to be. Okay, as I bring up the League One table, same format, okay? Two teams qualify automatically, and then three through six go to a playoff. So Hull City AFC return to the championship. They were the champions of League One on 89 points from from 46 matches. Second place, Peterborough on 87 points. They are also promoted. And then Blackpool, Sunderland, Lincoln, and Oxford United play the playoff and we'll move into it and at the end of the day it is it is Blackpool winning the playoff so Blackpool get the final spot in the championship next year those will be the teams in the championship now before we take a quick break I am going to run down the WSL for you all right and we'll go down the table. I know I kind of stopped talking about it a little bit as the episodes kind of uh, got further and further apart and became less Eurocentric, <laughs> just kind of the natural evolution of this show. Uh, I haven't spoken about the WSL in quite a while, but the league is now complete. Chelsea are your champions in the WSL. Heavy, heavy financial investment by Chelsea, by the Blues in this in this team. They finish 22 matches, 57 points, 18 wins, 3 draws, 1 defeat. And they finish 2 points ahead of Manchester City, who nearly repeated as champions. And the third place, which is also a Champions League spot, goes to Arsenal, who finish 3rd with 48 points. So a close race for the title between Chelsea and City. And then Arsenal nip. Manchester United at the final day to take third place with 48 points. Fourth was Manchester United on 47. And then you get some some spacing out as Everton finished fifth with 32. Brighton sixth with 40, 27. Reading are seventh with 24. Eighth is Tottenham with 20. West Ham are ninth with 15. And then you have Birmingham 10th with 15 as well, as is 11th, Aston Villa, 15 points. And relegated to the lower league is Bristol City with 12 points. Here are your top scorers in the Women's Super League. Samantha Kerr of Chelsea, 21 goals. She beats Vivian Medima of Arsenal, who had 18. Fran Kirby of Chelsea is third with 16. And then Caitlin Ford. Ellen White and Chloe Kelly. So, Caitlin Ford of Arsenal, Ellen White, and Chloe Kelly of Manchester City all with 10 goals. And they finish ahead of Pernil Harder of Chelsea and Ella Toon of Manchester United, who have 9. The highest American uh, finisher was... I'm going to pull that up for you real quickly. It was Kristen Press with 4 goals. So... The American, Kristen Press, of course, uh, of Manchester United. So the American women in the WSL, at least from a goal-scoring standpoint, 
did not have the same kind of output as you might expect. But there's not a lot of Americans playing in the WSL, unfortunately. I wish there were more. Um, I think it's a it's a better place to be than the NWSL. I'm going to be honest about that. You're in clubs that are large, that have huge followings, that have good financial backings. And I think the Women's Champions League is one of the best competitions on earth. And for me, it does not. The w, NWSL here in the United States, although it may have plenty of U.S. national team stars and some international stars, I just don't like the format, I'll be honest. Um, I don't like that it's a summer tournament. I, I prefer, I don't think it's a proper league, and I think that the European leagues are growing, and they are going to leave the NWSL in, in its wake. That's just what I, I guess it's things like that that earn me a reputation as a Euro snub when I'm even praising the European uh, women's game over the American women's game. But I, I just see the future going in that direction. That's my honest opinion. And everyone is free to disagree, but at that point... Also, before before we take a break, I almost failed to mention Chelsea. The champions were also finalists in the, UA, the UEFA Women's Champions League, but were absolutely stomped, absolutely stomped by uh, Barcelona in that Women's uh, Champions League final earlier this spring. It was about a week ago. And I'm going to bring that up right now just to give you the the exacts from that match. It was 4-0 to to Barcelona. And it started in the worst way possible for Chelsea. An own goal in the first minute. And then Putejas would make it 2-0 from the penalty spot in the 14th. Bonmati 3-0 in the 21st. It was just an early onslaught. And then Hansen... Uh, Caroline Graham Anson makes it 4-0 in the 36th. Chelsea unable to recover. Barcelona win the first ever, win their first ever, excuse me, women's Champions League title. Uh, Chelsea have one match left, but it has been postponed. It is the women's FA Cup. And let's see, is it, it is a quarterfinal. So um, the women's FA Cup. The conclusion of it has been postponed to next season. So Wednesday, September the 29th, will be Birmingham hosting Chelsea in the Women's FA Cup. Let's go down and quickly see the other quarterfinals. Arsenal will host Tottenham Hotspur in a North London derby on Wednesday, September the 29th. Brighton will host Charlton, and Manchester City will host Leicester City. Those are the eight teams remaining in this year's edition of the Women's FA Cup. All right, it's time for a break uh, here on Parking the Bus, episode 38. We'll be back, and we'll quickly recap the Bundesliga season before we run down the amazing final day in La Liga, okay? And uh, when we get there, we will we will talk about the last day of La Liga. Atletico Madrid, finally, get over the hump. We'll be, we'll be all about that in just a moment when we get back. Here on Parking the Bus, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PTB underscore media and on Instagram at that same handle, PTB underscore media. Check out the homepage, www.parkingthebusmedia.com. UEFA Euro 2020, this summer, here on the Parking the Bus podcast. Welcome back to episode 38 of Park in the Bus. 
This is your host, Mr. Mike Agustinio. As you know, remember to follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at PTV underscore media. Let's move now to Germany and wrap things up there. As you probably know, Borussia Dortmund win the DFB Pokal, beating RB Leipzig in the final and sending maybe my favorite manager, <laughs> one of if not my number one manager uh, that I like to follow, sending Ulian Nagelsmann to Bayern Munich with no trophy. That's right, Bayern Munich's new manager has zero silverware thus far on his CV. And, um, well, that doesn't make a difference to, to to the folks over at Bayern Munich, obviously, as uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge is very excited to bring in the young German manager. But uh, it was not meant to be. He really wanted to win this DFB Poco for RB Leipzig, give them their first bit of, of silverware, give them their first trophy on a national top flight level. Yes, they've won uh, Bundesliga 2, and they've won... Uh, re- the region Liga as well, but um, but yet to get any of that silverware at the top flight. Uh, and I've said before that I kind of like the the Red Bull project, even though I know it turns a lot of uh, football purists and a lot of fans off. But from a structural standpoint, standpoint, excuse me, I like the way that that they are structured. I like the pyramid they have created through different countries and the way that they can feed players to to Leipzig without having really to go through the transfer market and be able to transfer players within their own clubs. I mean, there there's a debate to be had whether or not that is ethical, whether that is right in the game of football, but certainly um, it's an intelligent plan and an intelligent model to follow. But RB Leipzig unable to win the Pokal, so that... Closes that out. Now, let's look at the final table in the Bundesliga. As there was very little to play for in the final weeks. Although, a little bit of a of a race for the European spots. So, let's, let's go with the fixture list first for the final day of the league. Which was Sunday, May the 22nd, a while ago now. But it was round 34. And here are the results in round 34. Cologne win 1-0 at home to Schalke. Schalke are relegated as we've already uh, hit on earlier this season. Dortmund win 3-1 at home to Leverkusen. Dortmund are safe in the Champions League. They'll be returning to the Champions League next season. Marcos Rose will be their new manager. And uh, he's coming over from Gladbach. And it'll be very, very interesting to see that coaching dynamic as they make a change. Um, they had a nice run of form, that Dortmund, that is, as they went through the last couple months of the season playing some really good football and getting some good results for their caretaker manager, Eden Terzic. And honestly, um, I really feel like Terzic should have kept the job. However, in the very German way of doing things, um, they they had selected the successor to uh, to the position much earlier. It was back in I believe in, in January that they signed that they signed Marco Rose, 
And Marco Rose uh, now leaves Gladbach and goes to Borussia Dortmund. Like I said, it'll be a very, very interesting transitional season next year for Borussia Dortmund. See if they can get themselves back towards the Bayern Munichs of the world and away from the Europa League race as they they have been trending in the wrong direction the last couple of seasons. And they're going to want to turn it around, of course, though. When you have Borussia Dortmund, every single summer it seems like the world's big clubs, the Sharks, come shopping at your door for all of your young talent. Makes it very, very hard to to push and to compete for the Bundesliga title. Frankfurt trying to get into the Champions League. They would end up being denied, but not through uh, their own fault, at least not on the final match day. As Frankfurt win 3-1 to at home over Freiburg. They get goals in this match from Andreas Silva, Torre, and Ash in the ni- in, at 90 plus 2. 3-1, Silva finishes the season with 20 plus goals once again. And it, it was a good season for him. 28 goals I sh- uh, to be exact. Uh, nowhere near the impeccable Robert Lewandowski. But still, very, very good tally of goals in a very, very difficult league for the young Portuguese striker this season. It'll be interesting to see how much playing time he manages to to get at Euro 2020. As a result, um, still, for many people, he's lower in the pecking order than some other guys in that national team. Hoffenheim, 2-1 winners at home over Erta Berlin. Union Berlin beat Leipzig. Leipzig were already... Uh, already guaranteed second place in the table, so they're not going to be too disappointed with that result, although that's, again, another loss to send off Ulian Nagelsmann. And as you know, as I've reported, and by now I'm sure everyone's aware, the American Jesse Marsh is taking over at at Leipzig next season. I said I liked their model. It also goes for coaches as Jesse Marsh has made the journey from New York Red Bulls to the to a post as an assistant at RB Leipzig to Red Bull Salzburg to gain more more experience managing in Europe. And now he gets the chance. He makes it to the big team. He makes it to the majors, if you will, to use a baseball analogy. He's in the big leagues as he will take over RB Leipzig next season. Stuttgart nil, Armenia Bielefeld 2, Werder Bremen 2, München Gladbach 4 in Marco Rose's departure match on the road at Bremen. Um, American Jeff Sargent didn't, sorry, Joshua Sargent uh, did feature. He played 67 ma- uh, minutes in this match. Did not get on the score sheet. And Wolfsburg, Champions League bound, featuring, of course, another American, John Brooks. They lose 3-2 at home to Mainz. And the already crowned champions finish it out with a 5-2 victory over Augsburg. Let's go to the table. Bayern Munich, as you know, are your champions for the 10th year in a row. If I'm not mistaken, I'll double check that. I'll count that for you just to make sure I don't want to. I know I I check myself on this every single time I say it, but it's one, two, three. Sorry, it is the ninth in a row, and that's why I checked it. So that is the ninth 
championship in a row for Bayern Munich. And for me, they are the best run club in the world. I say it all the time. I say it in conversations with people. I say it on different podcasts. I say it in in online forums. I just tell everybody that if you want to to have if you want to make your club big and you want to run a club the right way the best thing to do is to look at what Bayern Munich do and to see how you can apply those principles RB Leipzig second place again um overall a good season for them headed back to the Champions League 65 points Dortmund one behind them in third with 64 and Wolfsburg is fourth this year they edge Frankfurt by one point despite losing and Frankfurt winning. So Wolfsburg had already locked up this spot in the Champions League one week earlier. Uh, Leverkusen are sixth on 52 points, quite a bit behind Frankfurt. And the Europa Conference League spot goes to Union Berlin. And this is exciting, and I don't think there's a single neutral that's not excited for this. They were just promoted last season. And now here they are heading off to the inaugural edition of the UEFA Europa Conference. And I think that every Union Berlin uh, supporter it can't wait for the first road trip and to see where this competition is going to take them as they're going to play in Europe for the very first time. Munchen Gladbach one point behind them with 49. They're in 8th. They finish in 8th just outside of Europe. Stuttgart ninth on 45 points. A very good season for Stuttgart. Freiburg right behind them in 10th also on 45 points. Offenheim has 43. They are 11th. Mainz has 39. They are in 12th. Ausberg is 13th with 36 points, one point better than 14th place. Hertha Berlin, who really want to be higher in the table, who really have to figure out how to how to put this club where they belong, which is in, at least in the top half, if not fighting for European and Champions League spots. Armenia Bielefeld are safe by two points, also on 35 points. Their 15th Cologne dropped to the relegation playoff, or the promotion relegation playoff match, uh, finishing in 16th with 33 points despite the win on the final day. And Werder Bremen are relegated. Josh Sargent's side headed to Bundesliga 2 along with the historic Schalke 04. That leaves us one little bit of business, which is that promotion relegation playoff. And it is, well, let, let's take a look at Bundesliga 2's table very quickly before we move on then. As I'll pull that up here. And loading, loading, loading. <laughs> Bear with me for just a moment, folks. There we go. The Bundesliga 2 table finishes as as follows. 34 rounds in the Bundesliga 2 as well. Bochum are your champions. 67 points. And Greuther Firth are your runners-up. Both automatically promoted with 64 points. Two points back is Holstein Kiel. They finish in third, edging out Hamburg. The historic Hamburg. The former Champions League winners, Hamburg. 62 points for Holstein, while 58 for Hamburg. Dusseldorf are fifth with 56. Carl, Carl Schurer are 
sixth with 52. Darmstadt, seventh with 51. Heidenheim right there with them in eighth, also on 51. Paderborn, St. Pauli, 47 points apiece, ninth and tenth, respectively. Nuremberg and Aue have 44 points, while Hanover, 96, has 42. Jan Regensburg have 38, their 14th. Sandhausen, 15th with 34. And then playoff bound is Osnabrück. Brook. They have 33 points, while Eintracht Brauschenweig are 17th with 31 points. And Wurzberger Kickers are relegated automatically with 25 points. All right, let's look then at this promotion relegation playoff. The one that's to go to Bundesliga 1, not the one that's going to Bundesliga 2. But here we go. It is Holstein Kyle traveling to Cologne for the first leg as the Bundesliga 1 side hosts the first leg. And it is the side from Bundesliga 2 who pull off the upset in the first leg, a goal from Simon Lorenz, assisted by Jay Sung Lee, and Holstein Kiel win one nil on the road, making the making believers out of everybody, and making everyone think maybe this will be the year that a Bundesliga two side wins this playoff, and then reality hits like an eighteen wheel truck, like an absolute. <laughs> Like an absolute just uh, tandem trailer. Because in the second leg, Holstein, Holstein Kiel playing at home in their home stadium in the Holstein Stadion in Kiel, Germany. And unfortunately, in front of, in front of 2,350 people, Cologne come in and they stomp Holstein. It starts with Jonas Hector's third-minute goal to put Cologne up and level the tie. One apiece. Jay Sung Lee briefly scores a minute later in the fourth. This is a flying first couple of minutes. If you want to go, I do recommend going to ESPN Plus and finding this game and watching the first 15 minutes of it. It's 1-1 after four. In the sixth minute, it is Sebastian Anderson for Cologne. He gets on the end of a pass from Florian Kainz, and it's now 2-1 to Cologne. 3, or 2-2 on aggregate, I should say. Seven minutes later in the 13th, it's Sebastian Anderson again, again from Florian Kainz. 3-1 on the day, now 3-2 on aggregate to Cologne. They wouldn't stop there. 39th minute, Rafael Sikos gets on the end of a cross from Jonas Hector. It's 4-1 to Cologne, and they would put... This out of reach, well, it was already out of reach, but they would put the final nail in the coffin in the 84th. Elias Shakiri, 5-1 to one to Cologne, and Cologne survive for another season. They stay in Bundesliga 1, and that is a wrap on Germany. And we're going to move now to Spain. I'm going to pull that up. We had one of the closest title races in Europe and one of the closest title races in recent memory here in Spain and you know Atleti and Real Madrid just fighting tooth and nail to the end and what a difference Luis Suarez has made this season for Atletico Madrid and what 
bigger a sign of mismanagement and, and incompetence and just misjudgment on the part of FC, of Football Club Barcelona for allowing Luis Suarez not just to leave but to go to Atletico Madrid. It made all the difference in the world. Uh, we're going to look at the the fixtures from the final day, Saturday, May the 22nd. There were two games that were inconsequential on Sunday, May the 23rd. I'll read those results first. Granada, 0-0 at home to Getafe. Getafe, excuse me. While Sevilla would win 1-0 at home to Deportivo Alaves. Now, a day earlier than that, it is the... The title decider, and there were some European places in in question as well. Uh, those were decided here on this one in Galiza. As Celta de Vigo hosted Real Betis. Celta de Vigo went up 2-0 in this one. Real Betis come all the way back. And Betis get goals from Iglesias, uh, from Fakir, and Ruiz to make it 3-2 and completely turn the result Around Iago Aspas and Braiz Mendez, the goal scorers for Celta. But in the end, Betis get their European spot. Ibar host Barcelona. Barcelona, nothing to play for in this one. Eliminated from contention. And Barcelona win 1-0 on the road to Ibar. Elche host Athletic Bilbao. Elche win 2-0 on the day. While Osasuna drop a 1-0 home decision to Real Sociedad. And Huesca and Valencia draw a 0-0. That brings us to the two key matches of the, of the weekend of the round. And the ones that would decide, decide the La Liga champion for 2020-2021. I'm talking, of course, about Real Madrid versus Villarreal and... Real Valladolid versus Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid playing at home in in the not in the Bernabeu but in the Alfredo de Stefano in the in the training ground. And here is the eleven for both Villarreal and Real Madrid. Uh, we'll start with Villarreal. As you know, a few days later they would go on to lift the Europa League title. Uh, you heard about it in episode thirty-six. Goalkeeper for Villarreal for Unai Emery is Geronimo Rulli. Four across the back in the 4-4-2. Mario Gaspar is the captain as right back Raul Albiol. And Pau Torres the center back. Pairing with Alfonso Pedraza plays as the left back in midfield. Jeremy Pino on the right. Etienne Capui and Daniel Parejo in the center. Manuel Trigueros is the left-sided midfielder. And the strike tandem of Carlos Baca and Gerard Moreno for Real Madrid now. For Zinedine Zidane, and I suppose in a moment when we get through these results, we'll talk about uh, everything involving Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid. But in goal, he goes with Thibaut Courtois. 4-3-3 is his preferred formation. Alvaro Ordizola is the right back. Eder Militao and Rafael Verane are the center backs with Miguel Gutierrez as the left back. Three in midfield. Casimiro is the anchor in that midfield playing in the number six with Luka Modric to his right and Federico Valverde to his, sorry, Valverde to his right and Modric to his left. The three-man strike tandem up front. 
is led by the captain, Karim Benzema, back, back in the France squad after so many years. He is back. He was picked for Euro 2020, returns to play for his country. Uh, he's been top-level talent this whole time, but had been on the outs in his national team. And now he finds himself back in, headed to the big show, headed to Euro 2020. And to his right, he's got Marcos Asensio, and to his left, Vinicius Jr. Meanwhile, the other match over in uh, um, the other match over across ta across the country, if you will, um, in Valladolid, it is Real Valladolid and Atletico Madrid. The lineup starting with Valladolid in goal. They have Jordi Masip. Four across the back in there. 4-4-2 for their manager, Sergio Gonzalez. They've got the right back, Saidi Janko. Uh, the center back pairing of Kiko and Jawad El Yamik. And Lucas Olasa is the left back. Oscar Plano is the right-sided midfielder with Federico San Imerterio. And Roque Mesa as the center backs, as the center midfielders, excuse me. Tony Villa is the left-sided midfielder. And they're playing behind the strike tandem of Sean Weissman and Marcus de Souza. For Atletico Madrid, the leaders coming into this, this final round, Diego Simeone goes for a 4-3-3. You guys know how I feel about Diego Simeone. If you've listened to this show ever before on a day where I'm talking Spanish football, you know what I think about Diego Simeone. I am very, very at my wits and at my... To my extreme level of patience with him. Um, I think he's a hindrance, honestly. I think he's a great manager, but for the the personnel he has in his team at this time, I don't think he's the right man. He obviously gets the job done this season, but I don't like this this approach. But then again, who am I to, to question, especially the way that it all worked out? But he goes into a 4-4-3, a 4-3-3 with Jan Oblak in goal, of course. Kieran Trippier is the right back. He's headed to Euro 2020 with England. Jose Jimenez and Felipe are the center back pairing with Mario Hermoso as the left back. Three in midfield anchored by the captain, Coque. He's got Marcos Llorente to his right and Saul to his left and up front. A very, very formidable attack with Luis Suarez playing as the out-and-out -out striker, but with support from Angel Correa and the Belgian international, Yannick Carrasco. What a story Yannick Carrasco is this season. Since returning, he returned after, after COVID from the Chinese Super League. He was almost buried, almost forgotten by Real Madrid, by Atletico Madrid, excuse me. They had offloaded him to China on loan. And he comes back, and he is one of the key. There's just so many key, key people and so many key players in this Atletico Madrid team this season. This was a season where so many different guys stepped up at different points and made themselves known. Those are the 44 players in the two matches that we're discussing here now. And the first bit of action happens in Valladolid. And it is, it is the home side. Vajadolid going ahead in the 18th minute. 
Oscar Plano puts them ahead and worry and panic starts to set in for Atleti supporters. They knew they were going to have to suffer. Now remember, one week earlier in round 37, they had to make a massive comeback in order to to put themselves in first place in the final match of the season at the Wanda Metropolitano. And it was a late goal from Luis Suarez and a late goal from Renan Lodi as well that helped push Atletico Madrid to the final match day in the lead. Of course, uh, Real Madrid had done their part the week earlier and they would have overtaken them had that comeback not taken place. And here we go again. It is deja vu, 18 minutes in, and Bajadolid are ahead. Um, and not long after, one minute later, over at the Alfredo Di Stefano, you get Villarreal getting on the board. The, ro the roadside shocking Los Blancos. And it is Jeremy Pino from Gerardo Mora. Um, Gerardo Moreno, and it's 1-0 to the Yellow Submarine. And I honestly think as I watch these two matches unfold, and I had them both on, I'm sitting here thinking to myself that Simeone is going to sit there, and he's he's actually, this guy, look, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, this guy looks comfortable losing. He He's found out that Villarreal have gone ahead. But you can't possibly imagine that Real Madrid are not going to muster a comeback. You have to assume in these situations that your rival is going to get the result they need to in order to force you to win the game. But I felt the way the match was managed by Simeone all 90 minutes, it was as if it was as if he knew the result and there was nothing to worry about. He was just so laid back. And I don't mean this as a compliment to 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 Diego Simeone. I think I think he was a little out of touch with the reality of the situation he was in. Um, or at least that's the way it came across. It is 1-0 to Valladolid and 1-0 to Villarreal. Both teams fighting for the title are losing. And I'm thinking back to the final day of the Brazilian League last season. You'll remember that was episode 27 where Flamengo and Inter went into the final night of the season where either team could have still been champion, and both teams lost. Therefore, Flamengo were crowned champions of Brazil. Uh, it started to look like maybe we were going to see that here in Spain as well. And both matches go to the halftime. Uh, team talk with those results on the board, the matching 1-0 results, uh, Valladolid and Villarreal in front, and... The Madrid sides who are fighting for the title both behind. Now, we get a change here as also the 55th minute is when things start to get interesting here in the second half. And it's it's in Madrid first and it is Real. Benzema appears to have leveled for, v, for Real Madrid which then brings them within one goal of the lead in the league. Of course, a draw does them no good. A draw is um, as good as a loss to Real Madrid in this one. They have to win. But now they appear to have pulled the deficit in half. However, however, the referee puts his hand to his ear, listens, 
and VAR rule overrules and calls that goal back, ruling Benzema offside. And a sigh of relief, I'm sure, on the bench for Atleti at that moment. As uh, Atletico Madrid, you could see when you're watching, the players on the bench had phones out and they're watching the Real Madrid match more than they're watching their own match. And that is not good. I don't like that because Atletico Madrid don't need the help. All they need to do is win. I know they're losing at this stage of the match, but they have to have the belief that they're going to win. They had just come back a week earlier. Fortunately for Los Colchoneros, in the 57th minute, one minute after Benzema's goal was disallowed by VAR, Angel Correa with an immaculate toe poke. I mean, it was a futsal goal, but from distance, it was beautiful. He's on the dribble. He roll. He uses the right his right foot to roll the ball with his the sole of his foot from right to left and put it right in front of him and rather than winding up and shooting with his left foot because he knew that that window of space and that window of opportunity that path to the goal was going to close in a split second he knew he didn't have time for a left-footed wind-up nope he just he just pulled off the amazing toe poke from outside the penalty area from 21 yards not waiting for that ball to roll across his body and get to and get to his left foot instead he fires his right pinky toes <laughs> right onto the ball and the ball knuckles uh, knuckles right through the gap the goalie does not even make a move he does not even react to it he has no idea what's coming and by the time he realizes it it's too late it's in the back of the net. Atleti have pulled level and now go ahead by two points with the current results. Of course, if you're Real Madrid, this is worrying only because Atleti have pulled level. But at the end of the day, if you're Real Madrid, you still have to win the match regardless of what Atleti do. But you can see in the other match as the players... Heads start to drop on the bench as they have learned that Atleti have pulled level. 63rd minute and Simeone makes a double substitution and he brings in the connection from the week prior. That's right, one week earlier these two combined for the first goal for the equalizer. And it is João Felix and Renan Lodi coming on for Saúl and for Mario Hermoso. And then in the 68th at the other match, Zinedine Zidane goes for a triple substitution as he sends on, he sends on, um, sorry, he sends on Mariano Diaz and Nacho and Marcelo for Casimiro, Miguel Gutierrez and Alvaro Odolzo, Odolzo, sorry, and earlier he had about five minutes earlier he had sent on Rodrigo and Isco for Vinicius and Marcos Osencio so all five substitutions used up by Zinedine Zidane with 20 minutes to play and then or just just over 20 minutes to play I should say and at the same exact time okay so those substitutions, the triple substitution happens in the 68th minute. Same exact time in Valladolid. It is who else but the hero of the season, the man of the moment, Luis Suarez 
putting Atleti ahead for the second week in a row. It's 2-1 to Atleti, and now they depend only on themselves. Granted, they depended only on themselves this entire time, but now all they have to do is see out the last 22 minutes of the season, and they will be champions for the 11th time. And heads do drop for Real Madrid. It seems they seem defeated. The players on the bench seem to learn about it immediately. In the 79th minute with just over 10 minutes to play, Condogbia comes on to replace Marcos Llorente as Simeone just can't help himself but to make defensive substitutions. Um, I didn't think the match was calling for it. Of course, after this substitution is when Atletico Madrid got too comfortable, started to sit in too much and started to allow Valladolid back into the match and allow them more opportunities to nab an equalizer. And it's like it's like Atleti had decided or accepted that Real were going to lose. It's like they figured it was all over. And in, But in the 85th, Simeone sends in Hector Herrera, the Mexican, replaces the Argentine, Angel Correa, the goal scorer of the, of the equalizer. And then in the 85th minute, the same 85th minute, finally the uh, a breakthrough for Los Blancos. It is Karim Benzema leveling for Real Madrid 1-1. And then suddenly 90 plus 2 and Modric makes it 2-1 to one to Real Madrid. And Simeone starts to have a little bit of a panic attack as Valladolid are, are coming forward. His team has been inviting him forward for the better part of the last 15 minutes. Um, and all of a sudden it gets very, very nervy at the end. Because they know that if Valladolid equalizes, Real Madrid will be champions and not Atleti. But fortunately for them, at 90 plus 3, the whistle blows for full time. Atletico Madrid are your La Liga champions 2020-2021 for the 11th time in their club history. And let me just tell you, it was very nerve-wracking. They talk about it, they brag about how when they win, it's only with much suffering that they can finally get the result. And this this was no different. And it turns out that um, they do manage to hold on. But my goodness, Atletico Madrid had such a lead back in January. They let it all evaporate. But then they got things right in the final, the final home stretch of the season. And they got the results they needed to. Although they gave Real Madrid... Plenty of opportunities, and Barcelona as well. Plenty of opportunities to steal this one from them, as they had last season. I think, honestly, and I'm critical of of Diego Simeone. I think Atletico Madrid should have won the last three La Liga titles. This should have been a three-peat. The, the, the league was right there for them to take each of the last three seasons, but they just throw away too many points. Um, this... this internal battle they have between the Simeone brand of football and the personnel and the skill set he has to choose from seems to always be at odds with each other. This year they managed to get it done. I'll be interested to see what happens next season. Um, if I, I believe, and this is not just due to frustration with his management style, but I believe that it's a good time for Simeone to move on. 
and to take on a new project. Uh, I mean, maybe in his mind and in his heart, he believes he can win the Champions League for Atletico Madrid. But if that, but he really has nothing else to play for anymore. He has delivered two La Liga titles to Atletico Madrid, and two titles that they're very, very pleased about, obviously. And now, uh, I really think it's time for a change. Um, Spanish teams don't like to do that when 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 they're winning. And I, I think it's time for a change at Barcelona as well. But I, I get the the feeling Barcelona is so dead set on keeping Lionel Messi. And they're bringing in Kun Aguero. They want to say they want to build the next generation. But they keep bringing in old guys. And they keep bringing in what they can get on the cheap. And honestly, if they really want to... If Barcelona really want to build the next generation... Uh, I do believe, and this might sound crazy, but Lionel Messi is a obstacle to that because when he's on the team, he is the the focal point. He is the center of the team. Look at some other examples, okay? And they're there throughout Europe. They are there of when a focal player leaves and the team suddenly becomes whole again. Chelsea. Okay, they fought and clawed to hang on to Aiden Hazard for for seasons. Aiden Hazard finally leaves next last season, and today Chelsea are European champions. Today they are Champions League winners. In Portugal, Sporting Lisbon fought and fought and fought to avoid selling Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes gets sold to Manchester United, and today Sporting are champions of Portugal. The season right after, they let. Bruno go. Bruno was too big a part of the team. Everything ran through him. And if you want to rebuild a team, you can't have a guy in it in his 30s who everything has to run through. That's my personal opinion. I know Barcelona fans disagree with that vehemently. They don't want to ever see Lionel Messi play for anybody else. They want to see him play his entire career with Barcelona. They won't hear the argument that the fact that he's only succeeded at Barcelona is a valid criticism. They don't want to hear that. But um, it, it's at a point here for both of these teams. They're at crossroads. And I think the difference with with Real, with Atletico Madrid is that it's the manager that is the one that's the focal point and the center of this team that is, in my opinion, hurting the long-term growth of the players he has in his side. And if he doesn't want to see people... And if Atletico Madrid don't want to see young, talented players move on, especially not to their rivals right in La Liga, uh, I think that it would be a wise time to make a change. It's hard to do that after winning the championship. If I were Diego Simeone, I would have a serious, serious conversation with myself and have a serious, serious time of reflection and figure out if it's not time to move on and to take on a new challenge, a new project, build another club up and do this again. But the big news in La Liga, of course, aside from that, has been over at Real Madrid. So this was Zinedine Zidane's final match as manager. Earlier this week, he issued or he wrote a letter to us, to the to the Spanish newspaper us, and 
which he said he's leaving not because he's quitting, but because he is not supported by the club. And I think this is a blow to Florentino Perez and what has been just a spring of absolute, <laughs> just absolute onslaughts of bad moments for Florentino Perez. Florentino Perez has, not, has never looked worse, I'm going to be honest with you. When he talked about how they actually, he wanted pity that Real Madrid can't sign Kylian Mbappe under this model. Of course, he's, you know, when asked again that, you know, you, so you're saying teams spend too much money. Are you not going to be making those kinds of transfers again? He says, oh, no, we're going to go for those transfers. So he wants to cry foul that he doesn't have any money. Barcelona's $500 million in debt. They're taking out another loan for $500 million. It's insane. J.P. Morgan, I believe, is behind that loan. Also, J.P. Morgan, the same lender and same banker, banking company that was behind this, this completely narrow-sided version of a European Super League that they tried to launch. UEFA is threatening sanctions if these if Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus do not leave the Super League and do not officially step away from it. But it is going to be a very interesting summer to see what happens, uh, not to say the least. And the latest is earlier today. It was announced by Fabrizio Romano. Uh, and when Fabrizio Romano announces this, it's, it's always good as confirmed that Carlo Ancelotti is leaving Everton and returning to the Bernabeu. Carlo Ancelotti is the new Real Madrid manager. And La Liga's crazy season, silly season, has gotten off to quite a start. All right, that wraps up Spain. Uh, we will... there. The, La, the Segunda Liga will continue to play uh, right through the duration of the Euro almost. I believe it will end at the end of June. So we don't know yet who is going to be promoted from La Liga 2 or from uh, La Segunda, whatever they call it. And uh, so there'll be reports on that, I guess, when it becomes available. But I'm going to take a break now, take the final break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Italy and France quickly. Uh, we already know the champions in Italy. The final European spots have been decided. The relegation spots were decided a long time ago, so that will be fairly quick. And then we'll recap the story that was Lille this year winning their fourth title their fourth league on title in club history all right this is parking the bus it's episode 38 and i will be right back you're listening to the parking the bus podcast here on the btb media network your english language home of copa libertadores Welcome back to this final segment of episode 38, Parking the Bus. Remember, Friday, June the 11th, next week will be the start and the kickoff of Euro 2020. I will be going live with video. I know this episode's not in video format, but I will be going live with nightly video episodes that will then be obviously podcasts in the morning uh nightly reports 
going over the day's matches. Euro 2020 kicks off next Friday, June the 11th with Italy versus Turkey. And that first weekend has some real good matchups as well. We're going to really, really look forward to talking lots of football, lots of Euro 2020. It's just uh, it's just a little over a week away. Don't forget, go the it's it's listed in the show notes. Go over to my Fop Mob League and click on the link that I have posted in the show notes. All right, enter the code that I have given and join my league and play pick'em against me and against other listeners, and we'll see who has the most accurate predictions. For Euro 2020. All right, let's go to Italy now, and let's let's uh, wrap up the Serie A season. We already know Inter are the champions. Milan already headed for the Champions League, and then there's a few other spots to figure out here on the final day. It's round 38 in Serie A, and. We'll bring up the fixtures now as we close this the season on Sunday, May the 23rd. Inter 5-1 victors over Udinese, already champions, obviously. Uh, the big one for second and third place in Bergamo, but Atalanta will drop this one at home to AC Milan. Milan win 2-0 on the road. Bologna are beaten 1-4 at home by Juventus, a Juventus side that had Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench. That's right, Andrea Pirlo rolling the dice. There's different theories as to why this happened. Uh, Some say that the manager and the player together agreed that it was best that he rest. I assume he's talking about resting for Euro 2020 because it's the final match of the season. I can't believe with the Champions League on the line that Andrea Pirlo would allow anybody to to tell him to keep Ronaldo off the bench, off the off the pitch. But it didn't matter. He got goals elsewhere for Juventus. He got goals from Chiesa, two from Morata, and one from Rabio. Again, Juventus 4-1 winners on the road at Bologna. And that, in the end, would be enough because at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona, I believe that's the official name of that stadium now. Uh, yes, the, sta- the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona in Napoli. It is Napoli 1, Elas Verona 1. And Gattuso departs from Napoli, failing to qualify for the UEFA Champions League and if you want to be more confused there was video of Cristiano Ronaldo attentively watching this match from the bench and celebrating the result uh, further confusing everyone as to whether or not he is staying at Juventus of course uh, with him not playing in the final match and Juventus in danger of not making the Champions League um most people thought that he was going to move on. The club had said they would not stand in his way. His The wage bill is too high. His wages are too much for the club, according to quote-unquote experts. But from the way he was celebrating the end of this match and the result in the other ma- match, in the Napoli match, it leads you to believe he's actually 
wants to stay. And in a moment, I will have a coaching update on Juventus. Hint, no spoiler. Uh, you mu- you should know by now if you don't already. But uh, I'll tell you who's going to be managing Juventus next season. Another results here in round 38. Sassuolo at home, 2-0 winners over Lazio. Spezia draw 2-2 with Roma as Paulo Fonseca leaves Roma. Jose Mourinho coming in. Oh, are they going to be fun to watch next season? I hope there's a, I hope there's an uh, Amazon Prime <laughs> documentary series ready to roll uh, on Roma and the arrival of Jose Mourinho to the club of the capital. And in the other match, it is Torino one, Benevento one. Let's go to the table now. Enter your champions by a long shot. Ninety-one points from thirty-eight matches. Very, very dominating season for the Nerazzurri. Milan, the Rossaneri, they are second just behind only their city rivals. They have 79 points. One better than Atalanta. One better than Juventus. And they take the number two spot. Atalanta are third on 78. Fourth is Juventus. We talked about it. He, uh, despite, despite sitting, Cristiano Ronaldo, Andrea Pirlo qualifies for the Champions League. Of course, this is way below the expectation that the club has for Juventus in the Serie A. After nine straight titles, nine straight Scudettos, Juventus fall all the way to fourth, but they manage by the skin of their teeth to stay in the Champions League. Fifth place is Napoli. They have 77 points. Lazio are sixth with 68 points. Those are your Europa League sides. While Roma edge Sassuolo on goal difference. Both teams have 62 points. Roma will go to the UEFA Europa Conference. And what a way to start a new competition, but to have Jose Mourinho in it. And Jose Mourinho's old squad is also in it, Tottenham Hotspur. What if they run into each other in the first edition of the Europa Conference? Ninth place is Sampdoria with 52 points. Elas Verona is 10th with 45 Genoa, 11th on 42. Bologna have Bologna have 41. Fiorentina, 40. Udinese, 40. And 15th, it's Spezia with 39. Cagliari are 16th with 37. They're just slightly better than Torino, who also have 37, but with a, a lesser goal difference. But Torino, the historic Torino, Managed to stay in Serie A by four points. And unfortunately, Benevento are relegated back to Serie B. And they're taking with them Crotone and another historic club. And it's always sad to see this team go down. I do hope they'll be back. It is Parma going down in last place with only 20 points. A quick look at the, the leaders in Serie A. Cristiano Ronaldo wins the Golden Boot with 29 goals. Romelu Lukaku is second with 24. Luis Muriel of Atalanta has 22. Dujan Vlakovic of Fiorentina has 21. Ciro Immobile 
has another 20-goal season as he picks up 20. Simi of of Crotone has 20. Lorenzo Insigne has 19. And then Lautaro Martinez and Domenico Berardi with 17. 10th place goes to João Pedro with 16. That rounds out the top 10. Those are your goal scorers in Serie A. Let's go now to French League. Uh, maybe the story of the season because of who they beat. We're talking, of course, about Lille. As Lille crowned champions for the fourth time in their history. And this was a lot less dramatic on the final day than it was in Spain. Again, both Lille and PSG with a chance to win the title on the final day. And the final day would take place Sunday, May the 23rd. And those are the two results at the top of my list. But I'll go through the other ones first. Lance, a nil-nil draw with Monaco. Olympique Lyon lose 3-2 at home to Nice. Metz draw 1-1 at home to Marseille. Uh, Nantes lose at home 1-2 to Montpellier. Uh, Reims lose 2-1 to Bordeaux. Rennes win 2-0 over Nimes. Saint-Étienne are beaten 1-0 on their home ground by Dijon. And Strasbourg draw with Lorient 1-1. That brings us to the other matches. So PSG needing to win on the road at Brest in order to leave themselves a chance to win the title. They need to win and have Lille not win. Well, PSG does their part. They get goals for they get an own goal from Fiverr and another one from Kylian Mbappe to win 2-0 at Brest. However, it was never in doubt in Angers. It's Angers versus Lille. And it was in the 10th minute. The Canadian Jonathan David scores on a beautiful pass from Renato Sanchez. And what a recovery story. What a rebirth. For the Portugal international. The Euro 2016 champion. Renato Sanchez. Since leaving Benfica in 2016. Has been bounced around. from With loan move to loan move. It didn't work out. At, at Bayern Munich. It didn't work out on loan at Swansea. Finally he finds a home here. And he finds a role. And he, he was big in this one. When he was on the pitch, he was he was very, very good this season for Christophe Galtier. And Lille, 2-1 winners. They would surrender a goal very, very late. Uh, in fact, it was practically the last touch of the ball. But Lille edge Paris Saint-Germain. And what does that mean for Mauricio Pochettino? How about mismanagement by Paris Saint-Germain by PSG sacking Thomas Tuchel in the middle of the season on just again incompetence and money can't buy you competence. That's what's becoming very clear. Whether you're Real Madrid, whether you're FC Barcelona, whether you're PSG or whether you're you know anybody else. Money cannot buy you competence. You sack Tuchel and you bring in Mauricio Pochettino, and I have said, as much as Mauricio Pochettino puts teams playing beautiful football, his list of silverware is about the same length as mine. 
And he's still without it. I mean, he won the Coupe de France, but he did not win the Ligue 1, and he did not win the Champions League. It is a major failure for Mauricio Pochettino, and now the reports are he wants to go back to Tottenham. And I think that'd be a big mistake for Spurs. Um, as a general rule, I don't think it's ever a good idea to bring back an old manager, especially not this soon after he left. I could sit here all day and give you examples of how that's not really worked out the second time. But teams continue to do it because they fall in love with the past and they think they can just recreate it. Again, romanticism is such a big part of the appeal of Mauricio Pochettino. And um, for me, I think that's really a, that's really a detractor. I think that's really a negative against the, the manager because... Well, I mean, the results speak for themselves. And no excuse ever for PSG to not win Ligue 1 with this type of investment, this type of money that is behind this team compared to their opponents. But again, they come up short. They fail once again despite having Mbappe, despite having Neymar, despite having Di Maria Verratti, you know, despite having all of these guys, they get beat by Lille. And congratulations to Lille. What a story. To peel back to Italy for a moment before we go. Um, I said I'd let you know who was managing Juventus. That's right. Andrea Pirlo sacked this week from Juventus. And, or last week, actually. This is old news now. And almost immediately replaced by Massimo Allegri. Again, I just told you what I told you about bringing back the old manager. I think Juventus are making the same mistake. But what I think Juventus are telling everyone is that they made a mistake in letting Allegri go in the first place. Allegri originally had said that he would like to see Cristiano Ronaldo moved on and like to see that money reinvested in the squad. However... The last I've heard, and I've, I've asked some questions to some people on the ground in Europe that I happen to know, and some that cover the situation, and right now, uh, there's more signs indicating that Cristiano Ronaldo stays at Juventus than there is of him leaving, and part of the reason is that salary, and there is an unwillingness in a lot of, in a lot of sides to pick that salary up. Of course, Manchester United always a possibility and always a rumor for Cristiano Ronaldo, but I think right now they're much more focused on bringing in Jadon Sancho and Harry Kane, for example. Those are really where I think they want to spend that money to get more years out of that investment than they would get out of Cristiano Ronaldo. There's always his old club in Portugal, Sporting, who delusionally think that he's going to come play for them. And I always say that maybe if he's coming to pay off their debts, maybe if he's going to pay their debts off uh, out of pocket, they might be able to afford him. But, um, yeah, very interesting. Coaching carousel, I told you that uh, Gattuso stepped down or was I, I, whether he was sacked or he stepped down is really irrelevant. He's out as manager at Napoli. And by the time you can finish... By the time the ink dries on that headline, Gennaro Gattuso is the manager at Fiorentina. And that'll be an interesting project to see unfold next season. Um, 
very very interested in seeing how that unrolls unravels sorry uh antonio conte quits inter that is the shock um he basically made some demands from the club he wanted more money to invest he wanted to bring in more players and it looked like ownership told them they're actually going in the other direction they're they're gonna unload some salaries they're gonna take some money off the books and off of payroll and that doesn't work for Antonio Conte and Conte is out at Inter now uh, rumors of Romelu Lukaku being out as well Filippo Inzaghi is replacing uh, replacing Antonio Conte and now the rumors of Lukaku Leaving have been put to bed by Lukaku himself. Lukaku has said that he's spoken to Inzaghi and that he is going to stay at Inter Milan. But you're going you're gonna to most likely see Alexis leave. You're going to most likely see uh, Ashley Young leave. So I think they're going to take some high salaries and offload them this summer. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in in uh, Serie A this summer what what do AC Milan do do they go out and get some more players or do they continue to trust what they have right now also uh, Napoli will have a new manager like we said we'll see uh, how that affects Mexican international uh, Chucky Lozano as he he is one of the bright bright spots in that uh, Napoli side also just so many Roma. Who knows what what that's gonna look like? Who is Mourinho bringing in? Uh, very very excited to see and very happy to remind you that next season, if you're looking for Serie A, don't go looking on ESPN Plus. That's because next season, the Italian Serie A comes to a new home at Paramount Plus here in the United States, and I love Paramount Plus, and I can't wait to see how. I can't wait to see how it's it's presented on Paramount Plus. They've done such a great job with the Champions League. A little bit of programming note before I go. Uh, more episodes coming out this week. Tomorrow we've got a Copa Libertadores Copa Sudamericana review. On Friday night we're gonna have a probably a video. Um, it's probably gonna be a live stream edition and obviously a podcast as well. Uh, reviewing Brasileirão round one, the Brazilian league started last season, and then this weekend I will have a Concacaf edition where we're going to look at. I haven't decided yet if it's going to be one or two episodes, but we're going to look at the Liga MX Liga final, La Gran Final, Cruz Azul versus Santos Laguna, and also we have the Concacaf Nations League to talk about and. The UEFA U21 Championships as well. Before we head into next week. And before we get ready for Euro 2020. Which will consume my life for the next 30 days. Once that starts. So thank you for joining me. This has been the Mr. Mike Agustino. For the PTV Media Network. Presenting you episode 38 of Parking the Bus. And don't forget to follow on Twitter and on Instagram at PTV underscore media, as well as going over and signing our guest book and getting on the email list at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. All right, all the videos will also post there as well. 
Thank you, and I'll catch you tomorrow when we talk Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana. This is a wrap on the European season 2020-2021.